On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Greg Matson. Hey, what's up, everybody? Here we go. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ, typically reserved for the 8 to 9 o'clock hour, but we got some different things we're going to get to tonight at 7 o'clock. So to do that, let's clear some space. Let's talk some Brewers baseball here as the second half of the season begins Friday night with game one of a three-game series against the Rockies. The Rockies are in for three. The Twins are in for a couple. Then it's off to face the Boston Red Sox in a series that begins July the 29th. 855-616-1620. If you'd like to join us here on the program, it's 855-616-1620. The Brewers have a decision to make, and more specifically, Craig Council, I think, has a decision to make. And if you watch the Brewers series against the San Francisco Giants, you were left with a very bad taste in your mouth, very sour taste. And I don't know if the All-Star break is enough to wash that out of your system, or if it just sort of permeates until the time the Brewers take the field and perhaps win a game. Maybe that's what it takes. Maybe you need to see Josh Hader come out and close out a game in a high-leverage situation for you to feel... A little better about the situation. Here's the situation. And here's something I think Craig Council has to give thought to. Now, we can discuss the merits of it. Do you think it'll work? Will it not work? What's the benefit? What's the cause and effect? Right? These are all things that a manager and a general manager have to sort through during a given season. Does Devin Williams deserve the ninth inning? 855-616-1620, the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Typically, the ninth inning has been reserved for Josh Hader. In a closer situation, step in, earn the save. He's been the most dominant closer in Brewers history. He is one of the most dominant closers in baseball history. Just look at his strikeout per nine inning rate, strikeout to walk ratio, perennial all-star. Josh Hader has certainly earned everything that is on his resume. He's been unbelievable, but not in July. I've never seen Josh Hader quite like he is right now. He's had some scrimmages here. He's had some blips on the radar, some things that haven't gone terribly well, and it makes you scratch your head, and then usually somebody will say, well, it's time to trade Josh Hader. I do not believe that in one or any way, shape, or form. But I think if you're Craig Council, you have to start looking at who is performing the best at this juncture of the season when you're trying to protect a half-game lead over the Cardinals for first place in the NL Central. And the last two opportunities the Brewers had for a save, the game ended with a walk-off home run. One in Minnesota and one in San Francisco. So here are the numbers. Here's how the numbers lay out. Devin Williams hasn't allowed an earned run since May 10th. That is not a misprint. 26 consecutive appearances without allowing a run. All-star. Unhittable. He sorted through some early season jitters. Maybe it was just because of the truncated spring training. Whatever the case, whatever plagued Devin Williams in April, he is no longer bothering Devin Williams. He has settled in, and he's been unbelievable. Josh Hader in the month of July, July only, five and a third innings pitched, 12 earned runs, five home runs allowed. Two of those were walk-offs. His ERA is over 20. I don't know what constitutes a small sample size or a large sample size in your mind, but to me, 26 consecutive appearances without allowing a run, that qualifies as a sizable sample size. The month of July, five out of third innings pitched, I I think that's reasonable enough to say the dude is struggling. It's not just a hiccup. 
and he talked about a lack of aggressiveness, specifically against the Giants, in which he gave up three home runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. It was a 5-2 game, right? I mean, I don't even know if you call that a high-leverage situation with a guy like Hader on the mound. Technically, it was a save situation, but was that high leverage? It seemed like the pressure was off. So I think if you're Craig Council, you have to pay attention to the numbers and the feedback hitters are giving you about your pitchers. But what does it accomplish, and where do you move Josh Hader? How do you get him right? There's a recent example I want to point back to. You may have forgotten about this. 2018 was a very interesting season for one Brewers reliever specifically. I'll detail after this. We'll get to your phone calls as well. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Trade deadline is coming up August 2nd. Draft is complete. Brewers VP of domestic scouting Todd Johnson will join us at 633 to recap the draft. Uh, One of the players selected shows up on the most intriguing players selected on the final day list. It's a a very short list. There's five players on the list. One was selected by the Brewers. And uh, (laughs) sometimes they put the name and then they put the position the player plays right after their name in abbreviated form, right? 2B for second base, SS for shortstop. Left-handed pitcher would be LHP. I, you don't often you don't often see the code associated with the player selected by the Brewers as SHP. What does that exactly stand for? We'll get to the bottom of that coming up at 633. Devin Williams to the ninth inning. Does it make sense? Is it the move Craig Council needs to make? 855-616-1620. We've got Matt in Watertown joining us here on Brewers Weekly. Hey, Matt. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it makes sense. I still think Hayter's the best closer in the game. I mean, yeah, he's had a little bit of a hiccup, also just had a baby. He's got some things going on in his life. He's fine. After these four days of rest, I bet you he comes back, fights out. But I think if the Brewers entertain offers and they do make a move with him, I think Devin's definitely the guy to take over the ninth. Appreciate the phone call, Matt. Yeah, and, and I, I want to be clear here. I am no way suggesting the Brewers should trade Josh Hader. When the Brewers are no longer concerned with winning important games on their road to a division title, then it's time to tra- trade Josh Hader. I, I don't believe that time is now at all. But the big question is, so if you move Devin Williams to the ninth, does Hader go to the eighth? Well, presumably that is still a very high-leverage situation. Not exactly a closer situation, but not far off either. It's so difficult when you get into the thoroughs of a season to try and fix things if you're a relief pitcher because you never know exactly what night you are going to be needed. And if it's a night you're not available, it's likely because you've pitched too much in a frame of time. So how do you work on things? Is it a a random eighth inning when the game is out of reach one way or the other? Maybe a ninth inning non-save situation? Is that the best spot? Because at some point you have to say, all right, well, it's just, it's not looking right and it needs to look right. How do you get to that point? Jason is on the south side of somewhere. You're on Brewers Weekly. Hello, Jason. Yeah, uh, Greg, uh, the, we know that the Brewers are going to win uh, 90 games and they're going to win their division. Okay? That, that's, a, that's a given right now. I mean, come on. Uh, Josh Hader, I think he's, you just were saying with his baby and everything else. I think he doesn't have his head in the game, and 
I think Williams should be moved on up. You've got Boxberger and some of the other guys that are in the bullpen and that can move on up and everything else. I think it's time to cha- uh, time to make a change and uh, le- let Josh Hader go. Uh, the other guy that you were talking about three, four years ago was Knable uh, uh, there. Uh, but but Knable, I don't think had a, his wife had a baby or anything else that uh, precipitated that, that his, his possibility of uh, you know, losing it for a little bit. No, you're right about that. I appreciate the phone calls. So it, the thing with, with Hayter, and yes, it, it's been documented. He, his wife had some complications with pregnancy, so he was away from the team for a little while, uh, chose not to play in the All-Star game so he could spend some more time at home with the family. I, I really don't know what's going on behind closed doors with the Hayter family, and I want to be sensitive to that. But if he's on the team and he's inserted in the game in the ninth inning, he is expected to perform, regardless of how many hours of sleep or what his day looked like leading up to it. And I think Josh would tell you the exact same thing. Uh, he's as prideful of a player as I've ever come across. Uh, I, I very much enjoy my interaction with Josh Hader. Love the guy. But he's struggling. So how do you get him out of it? And uh, it, Caller is right here. Corey Knable is the guy that I was referencing. I, I want to detail what happened back in 2018 with Corey Knable and how he got back on track. And boy, did it work. It's after this. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. So the year was 2018. The Brewers had one heck of a season, knocking off the Chicago Cubs to win the division in game 163. Corey Knable played a prominent role in that stretch run, but it was a challenging season for Knable. So if you remember, Knable was an all-star back in 2017. 39 saves. I mean, he was lights out. ERA about 1.7. I mean, it was a fantastic season. But 2018 was tough. And mid-August, he was sent to AAA, closer to the end of August. It, nothing seemed to go right for Corey Knable in the month of August. So he lost his role as closer. He lost his spot on the roster. Hader was moved into the closer's role and really hasn't left since. But Knable was still factoring into how the Brewers played down the stretch. So he spent about a week, 10 days, call it, at the AAA level, was brought back to the club, and in 15 appearances in the month of September, Corey Knable had an ERA of zero. I I don't know what happened at AAA, but he got right. And, you know, that's not the answer here, I don't think, for Josh Hader. I, I don't anticipate Josh Hader going to the AAA level to get right. I think he gets right on the fly at the major league level. But that doesn't mean it has to be in the ninth inning in a high-leverage situation. So that's the big question here for Craig Council. If you are going to make a move, and I do think it's it's worth considering at this point, just given how both players are going, and maybe Hader resumes his role as the closer once he does get right. Maybe it's just one appearance. right? The last four days off or so in Milwaukee with his family has been everything he's needed to get back to the Josh Hader that we've come to know and appreciate. Dominant closer. But right now, I think you're left with a question. And I can only imagine Craig Council is feeling the same thing. The last couple of times he's trotted out one of the best closers in baseball. Uh, The results have been terrible. Five home runs allowed in his last five and a third innings. Twelve earned runs. I mean, that is just, that's his July. And when you're talking about protecting a half-game lead in your division, you've got to find a way to make sure you accumulate as many victories as possible. Uh, Is a caller mentioned, 90 wins? Yeah, that might win the division. I typically think that's a a recipe for a playoff team is get to the 90-win total. 
That's a benchmark. It's not a certainty that you'll get in, but it's a benchmark. And in the world of expanded playoffs, I think you feel pretty good about that overall. But do you make the move? From game number one, if tomorrow's game against the Rockies is 3-2 in the ninth inning and the Brewers are protecting a lead, should it be Devin Williams on the mound closing the game out instead of Josh Hader? 855-616-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Devin Williams coming off a solid performance in the All-Star game, a couple of strikeouts in his one inning of work. I, I don't think that technically counts on his 26 consecutive outings without allowing a run total. But, hey, if you want to make it 27, go ahead. The last time Devin Williams allowed a run was May 10th. May the 10th. We'll take your calls throughout the program tonight. Hit me up on Twitter if you would like, at GMATS. i got a, a number of texts coming in saying that, look, it's, it's all about the family situation. Just had a baby. He's probably not sleeping well. How is his wife feeling? I, I get all that. I, I really do. And... It, it's it's a logical thought process, right? The family dynamic has changed considerably for the haters in the last couple of months. And really, at, at, at some point in, in the pregnancy, where things maybe weren't looking as great as you would hope. He's in uniform, and he's on the mound, and is called upon to perform. I hate to say it, it's not to sound harsh, but it, it that's out the window. It's It's time to do the job. And if he's not in that right headspace, then you have to consider how to use him and figure out how to get him back to being the dominant closer that he is. Bob joins us next from Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hello, Bob. Hey, Greg. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for uh, taking my call, and it's good to hear you uh, on the radio again doing sports talk uh, once in a while. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, to answer your question, first of all, I disagree with a caller, I don't know, one or two back. Uh, the Brewers are not a lot to win anything right now. I mean, you know, it's not a it's not a given that they're going to win the division, let alone do anything beyond that. So, you know what I'm saying? I just I think it's a, it's a week-to-week kind of a proposition. As far as Josh Hader goes, I mean, wow, these last four or five appearances have been uh, horrible. Um, and like you've been saying and others have been saying, and I have, you know, been saying as a friends and I are talking about it, hopefully this four or five days off, you know, might be a little bit of a cure headspace and all that kind of stuff. I don't think you can immediately coming right out of this, uh, uh, all-star break and into the series with Colorado, take him out of that spot. I think he's done too much for this club. I think he's, uh, proven himself, albeit not the last four or five games. But you know what? I mean, it's a cruel business. And if, uh, you know, short rope at this point, if, uh, if it continues to occur, I think then you've got to make a change. Then it becomes a no-brainer. But I think coming out of the All-Star break, he's got another start, or uh, I should say another appearance or two to figure it out or to prove himself. And the other thing I wanted to say, too, is um, I know these added pitches. You know, he's added uh, the slider. He throws that a little bit more in the changeup. I don't know. I'd like to see him go back to gas. Now, even obviously hitters can hang on and sit on it, but I think he monkeys around a little bit too much. And if he hangs those pitches like he did against San Francisco, I mean, you see the results. So I'd like to see him get back to what uh, what he did and did so successfully. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Bob. Thanks for the phone call and the kind words. Uh, I'm with you. I think everybody would. 
Uh, you talked about a lack of aggressiveness in that game or after the game against the Giants as being his downfall. It wasn't on the attack as much as you uh, are used to watching Josh Hader pitch. He is constantly on the attack. Well, you're always on the defensive if you're in the batter's box. You're always behind, it seems. And if you're somehow ahead, it, it, it feels like Josh Hader still has the upper hand. That That's when he's at his best, and I hope he gets back to it because if the Brewers are going to win this division, they will need Josh Hader to be Josh Hader. Coming up next, a recap of the draft. Brewers VP of Domestic Scouting Todd Johnson will join us. He drafted one of the most intriguing prospects in the draft on the final day. And did he almost pull the trigger on a seven-foot pitcher? Got that coming up for you after the news. Let's check in with Alex Crow. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Not a lot of games this week, although uh, the second half of the season is officially underway. handful of games today. The Brewers will wait until tomorrow to begin the unofficial second half of the season, taking on the Colorado Rockies. Uh, busy week, though, of course, all the all-star festivities at Dodgers Stadium in Los Angeles. Always entertaining and a good time to watch. You had the MLB draft earlier this week. Brewers with 21 selections overall. And then, of course, the trade deadline, which is uh, on the horizon here. August the 2nd, sometimes it's right before August, right around the 30th, 31st. But this year, August the 2nd, expanded playoffs means more teams straddling the line, trying to figure out if they're a contender or pretender. So that could make for a very interesting trade deadline. Of course, David Stearns is uh, always on the hunt as his teams are in contention, typically, and have been every year under Craig Council. Joining us on the line right now, he had just got done with everything draft-related, the VP of Domestic Scouting for the Milwaukee Brewers, it is Todd Johnson. Hey, Todd. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, so you got through it. Uh, how do you celebrate? Is it like Chinese food and a nice cold beer? Do you, do you just take a good nap? Like, how do you, how do you celebrate the draft? A nap, that's for sure. Uh, try and get some good sleep that night um, after it. Um, but, yeah, we uh, we actually went out uh, after, took, uh, took those that kind of help out and... Uh, and we all went out to dinner afterwards, so um, that was nice after the uh, the last day on Tuesday. Well, well-deserved. So I've, I've talked to David Stearns about this in years past. I've asked him, hey, how'd the draft go? It's a, it's a pretty broad and open-ended question. And, you know, he'll never comment on a player, but he talks about the process more than anything in my experience with him. And he always feels good about the process. He seems like if, if we follow our process, the results will be happy with the results. What does that process entail? Oh, that's a long and long and and somewhat confidential question in some ways. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it obviously all starts with our scouts. Um, They're the ones out in the field digging up the players and getting to know them and building relationships with them and and building relationships with their coaches and people around them to know kind of what the – what the players like, what they're, you know, what they're like off the field, what their work habits are, um, you know, how they are uh, on the field between the lines from a, from a competitive perspective. And, and then, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of work that goes into uh, collecting a whole bunch of information um, and data um, where our, you know, systems team and our R and D team and, and others are involved in that um, and trying to, uh, to get a bunch of the information together. And then we try and get them, you know, into the right order um, as close as that is and, and start to, uh, to line it up and, you know, work through that quite a bit with a lot of discussions back and forth. Matt, Matt Arnold's, you know, very involved with me as well, um, as well as David and, and others. So, um, you know, really, uh, really a kind of a long, 
like this year we even stretched it out because we had the time. So we actually started kind of in early June with the first set of meetings and then took some breaks between there and, uh, and the draft and, um, you know, worked through that whole time. Well, and, and you had the ability to see more players live and in person than you had the last couple of years. How many would you estimate, Todd, that your scouting department or you personally were able to, to watch play uh, or at least work out in live, live in person? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, we, we evaluate a, a lot of players. I mean, probably into the 1,500 to 2,000 range in number of players. Um, now, that doesn't mean every player ends up being in consideration for the draft board. Um, I think we, you know, we were somewhere around a thousand players that we had um, turned in is the kind of vernacular for it. Uh, and, you know, myself, I, you know, I do actually, you know, obviously get out and, and see some players. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, what my number was this year. Um, but I, you know, I do that also to, to spend time with our staff and, and, you know, get their, their take on the players and, and the feeling of, of what they know, because they know them so much better than I do. You know, me going to see a player and see him, you know, for two or three innings or something like that is is not going to really, or you know, even a whole game for a pitcher or, or you know, five or ten, five or six at bats for a hitter is not going to really like paint the picture the way it is for the area scout who's known the kid since you know probably like two or three years ago and has has seen him you know play twenty or thirty games probably. Brewers VP of Domestic Scouting, Todd Johnson, joining us on Brewers Weekly. Draft wrapping up earlier this week. A three-day event that Todd presided over and had a lot of uh, late-night Zoom calls uh, with members of the media. Uh, There is a headline, Todd, I don't know if you saw this, CBS Sports. R.J. Anderson's a great baseball writer. Four most intriguing final day picks, including Brewers taking a switch pitcher. Pick number 552, Gerangelo Sinti. I'm not really sure how to pronounce his last name. There's a lot of J's in it. But a high school yeah. player out of Florida, I, it, it, intriguing is certainly an operative word here, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great player. Uh, two-way guy up to 96, I think, from the right side. You know, kind of like more low 90s from the left. And then, shockingly, and this isn't super well-known, um, he's also a pretty good hitter and defense, defender in the middle infield. Uh, so we called him a four-way player at one point. <laughs> Because he's also a switch hitter. So, um, you know, he's exciting. Um, you know, he was pretty well-known. He went to the Combine um, out in San Diego and, and threw really well out there. So more attention to his pitching at that point. And, you know, he, he was he was there late. Obviously, these kids have, you know, school commits and that kind of thing. So we'll see where it goes with him. Um, but, you know, we, we liked him. Our area scout in the that, in that South Port area, uh, Laz Giannis, has done a really good job knowing the kid and, and getting to getting good info and, and just uh, building a relationship there. So we actually worked him out a little bit down there. And, and you know, he's a great kid, too. Yeah, so I, I want to ask how this works from your perspective, because it happens every year. You draft somebody, and they choose to go the college route instead of, you know, joining your organization out of high school, and you talked about the college commitment that Durangelo has. Great if he wants to honor that. I guess what what's the value in selecting a player you know could possibly leave your hands and end up being drafted by another team a year later or two years later? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly somewhat relation building, uh, relationship building. You know, you obviously you know, make contact with them, talk to them, you know, build that kind of relationship and then um you know and, and sometimes you just never know like stuff changes you know coaches leave schools other things happen and and some guys will uh you know might change their mind or um you know other stuff could happen where you know they end up 
they do end up signing. Um, it's not, you know, it's not very common, especially for, you know, somebody like this going to Mississippi State, really good school in the SEC. Um, but, it, but it has happened um, and could happen again. Uh, so we just feel like it gives us that option and keeps it, it keeps it on the table for us. It's harder in a 20-round draft than it used to be in a 40-round draft. Uh, but we still felt like this was a good a good chance to take care. Sure. No, very good point. Uh, I, I know you probably don't comment much on other players who are drafted by other teams, but I do have to bring up a name here. Jared Beck, a seven-foot pitcher. I, w- was he on the board? <laughs> like, you, like, like That stands out a little bit, right? That's that's not terribly common. Um, yeah, you actually stumped me a little bit there. I uh, We did have him in. We haven't turned in. Um and you know, didn't spend a huge amount of time discussing him, so he wasn't really in our mix. But obviously, we have taken a lot of tall pitchers. Uh, Russell Smith, who we took last year, six nine. Brian Fitzpatrick, that we took in the tenth round this year, is six eight. Um, even uh, Jacob Mizorowski, the guy we took in the second round, is about six five, six six, probably. So certainly, have taken some of those guys that tall. But this would have been would have topped all of that those as well. He could have been the center on the basketball team. Yeah, right, Exactly. Yeah, kind of an off-season plan, right? Just send him down the road to Pfizer form and have him suit up a little bit. That is part of the intrigue, though. There, there, there is such a volume of talent, be it at the high school level, uh, Canada. I know you selected a player from Canada, of course, the college level. You know, I'm always interested to see the mix. If it's a heavy focus on college, junior college, high school, is there a is there a plan year to year based upon where your talent is drafted, or or is it kind of just best player available? Yeah, we stick to best player available. Um, obviously, you know, our, our drafts the last few years have, have tended toward the college side in the early spots, but at every pick, and this is true this year too, like I think pretty much every pick we had a high school player that was in the mix and we just decided to go down the route with a, with a college player, um, obviously, except for, uh, for O'Ray in the, in the first 10. And then, um, you know, in the post 10 space, we, we tend to, uh, to take a few more high school guys that we might, be able to sign or you know in some cases they'll they'll honor their commitments and go to school so so it's certainly not a like specific focus that we're not taking high school players or we're not you know gonna gonna focus in that area but it's definitely something where you know we've had those players in our mix at at each one of our picks and and have just made the made the choice to go with somebody else um that was maybe from the college or junior college we've been heavy junior college focus as well in the last few years uh, for no, not any intentional reason, just because that's been the way it's fallen. Yeah, Todd, before we let you go, I, I think it's easy to lose track of players once they're drafted. I, I'm talking about from a fan standpoint. I'm sure you know exactly mm-hmm. where everybody is, but uh, some of the names of, of early round draft choices from the last couple of years are making their way through the minor leagues. Uh, who have you seen stand out among that group that we could know as Brewers before too long? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to... Uh, 2018 even with uh, Bryce Terang. He's currently in Nashville at AAA, play, playing well. One of the younger position players in the AAA level. Um, you know, really good defensive shortstop. Has really good basketball skills. He's a good runner. Uh, he's gotten stronger since high school as well. So, you know, he's an exciting one. Um, Ethan Small was up up this year and then and then went back down. Um, Antoine Kelly, who we took in that draft in 2019, threw in the Futures game, uh, threw well. Well, he got to pitch two hitters because they make that game so short. Um, but he was good there. And then, you know, Garrett Mitchell, our 2020 first rounder, is, is currently in Biloxi. Um, he's been, unfortunately, missed some time this year. But when he's been there, I mean, I think he came back from an injury with like eight for 11 with 
three doubles and a home run or something. And then um, Sal Frelick, uh, Frelick is uh, currently at Bluxy as well. So those guys are kind of sharing center field and, and Sal's doing really well for first year out, especially in double A at the tough bubble. Um, and Tyler Black, who took in the comp round last year, is uh, he's at Wisconsin currently. He was off to a really good start, having a really good, uh, really good season, and unfortunately um, got injured. Something that'll probably keep him out this year, but nothing with a, of long term concern. Well, looking forward to the future development of all those uh, players you mentioned and the current draft class. Todd, great job in the draft. Always good to catch up. It's a fascinating exercise, and uh, it's a lengthy one. Congratulations on getting through, and uh, appreciate your perspective tonight. Absolutely. No problem. Always enjoy talking to you guys as well. Yep, you bet. All the best. That's uh, Todd Johnson, VP of Domestic Scouting for the Milwaukee Brewers. 21 selections overall. Eric Brown Jr., the first-round pick out of Coastal Carolina, uh, versatile middle infielder. That's a common theme among infielders selected by the Brewers. Positional versatility is something that David Stern certainly covets. Trade deadline is on the horizon. What might the Brewers be looking to do? Take a look. After this, it's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Special thanks to Todd Johnson for joining us, VP of Domestic Scouting for the Milwaukee Brewers. After a three-day draft, been a long week for Todd and members of the Brewers scouting staff, but nice work, 21 players selected. Uh, trade deadline is coming up August 2nd. The Brewers need an outfielder. Uh, I am convinced the Brewers need to add an outfielder to their roster. Tyrone Taylor is still working through the concussion protocol. Of course, Lorenzo Cain no longer with the team. Hunter Renfro is back. That's a good thing, but has been out with an injury you got to find a way. Jonathan Davis has done some nice things, but I, I think you can I think you can do a little better than Jonathan Davis. He's sort of filling a uh, gap right now with Tyrone Taylor out. Uh, Andrew Benatendi is the player that I'm going to keep shouting it from the rooftop. I would love to see him in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform. He's an all-star for the Kansas City Royals. He is hitting over 300 this year. You plug him in, he's your number two hitter, more than likely. Uh, maybe it's a Yelich, Benatendi, Adamas kind of situation. I could see that developing here for the Brewers. You need a guy who can get on base. You need a guy who can hit some doubles. You need a guy who is going to be standing on first. Doesn't necessarily have to be a home run hitting threat. I think the Brewers have enough of that in their lineup. But consistency in the offense. It's hard to be consistent in the offense when the bulk of your players are, are hitting 250 or less. Benatendi is hitting over 300. It's not exactly a small sample size. He's always been around 300, it seems, in his career. Still relatively young, only 27 years old. He can play a couple different positions in the outfield. The big watch shot on Benatendi is that he's on an expiring contract, a one-year, $8.5 million contract with the Royals. So, yes, it, it's a, a potential to be a rental-type player. David Stearns is typically cautious of moves like that, but... This is the kind of player, the profile of Andrew Benatendi is the type of player the Brewers need. We'll rack up the program with some final thoughts after this on WTMJ. Wrapping up the program here on a Thursday night. Brewers resume the second half of the season on Friday against the Colorado Rockies. Of course, this will begin the two-month stretch to the end. Two and a half months, two and a third Whatever you want to call it, it is a race to the finish here. The Brewers begin the second half of the season with a half-game lead over the Cardinals for first place in the NL Central. Two-team race, I think we all know that. And I'm not convinced whoever finishes in second place is going to be a postseason team. Certainly possible. It's happened before. Three teams from the division have made it on occasion. Uh, But there's more teams just sort of lumped into where the Brewers and Cardinals are. Uh, The NL West is a challenging division, no doubt about that. 
Brewers had a tough time in San Francisco. They played pretty well against the Padres early and then scuffled in their second series against one another. And uh, still more time against the Mets and Dodgers and so on before the season ends. Seven games left against the St. Louis Cardinals. Certainly big games when you talk about the head-to-head. You'll have a couple coming up here in a couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. August 12th, 13th, and 14th on the road in St. Louis. So you got that to look forward to here. The race to the finish is on for the Milwaukee Brewers. We are out of time. We're going to join uh, ABC coverage of the January 6th hearings, which begin here in just a couple of moments on WTMJ. That's the reason for the early start time for Brewers Weekly. We'll be back with Brewers Extra Innings following tomorrow night's game and throughout the weekend. Always right here on your home with the Brewers, 620 WTMJ.